Uh, open your Bibles to Genesis chapter number 9. Genesis chapter number 9. I've been praying and meditating on this message for weeks, if not months. I've preached it a hundred times, uh, but nobody's ever heard it that I know of, uh, that, I, that I've said it to. And it's just a powerful, powerful word that I believe God showed me. And I began to pray and ask Him, Lord, I want to preach this. You know, there's some things uh, as a minister that you'll get that you'll... Hello, Weeks family. Bless God. How are y'all doing? Give the Weeks a hand. Oh, my goodness. Give the Hallams a hand. Give the Martins a hand. Let's just give everybody a hand. I didn't see them back there. I'm so glad to see everybody. I'm going to be honest with you, I'm glad Thanksgiving is over. <laughs> because it's one thing when you got all that food, but you, you, you kind of need to do some exercise or something, and man, it just it starts to wear you out. But sometimes you get a word from God, and you don't necessarily want to deliver it. I, ha- I have felt like Jonah before, where I'd rather risk riding in a boat and riding in a whale than I would going and saying what God told me to say. But sometimes God tells you to do something, tells you to say something, and you go, man, that's exactly what I needed, and bless God, I believe it'll help the people. I want to say it. And the Lord will say, I need you to marinate in that for a while. And what happens is, is you begin to hear more than you heard. You begin to understand more than you heard. Sometimes you'll get something from God, and it might be just for you. Sometimes you'll get something from God and it's for you to deliver. However, you might need to roll it around a little while before you're able to fully manifest it. See, a a, a lady, when she gets pregnant, she carries that baby for nine months before she ever delivers it. Sometimes there is a timetable where there needs to be something growing on the inside of you before you're able to deliver it. But uh, Noah in our Bible is a very interesting man. He, he probably doesn't get as much credit as he should. He is responsible for saving humanity solely. You and I can all trace our DNA back to, Moses, to Noah and his three sons because of an ongoing, consistent decision that he made. The Bible says that there was wickedness all over the land and God knew that the people were not going to turn their hearts back towards Him. So He knew He had to start over, so to speak. And the Bible says that Noah found grace. Everybody say grace. Grace Grace in the eyes of God. And God told him, what I need you to do is I need you to build a boat and I want you to build a boat so large and so grand that all the animals, two of each, all the animals of the world can fit on this boat. I want you to build a boat so large and so grand that you and your sons, your wife and your son's wives, your daughters-in-law will all fit on this boat. I need this to happen. I've chosen you to do it. He said, well, how big do you want to make it? And he said, I'm talking a cruise liner big. We're not talking the SS Minnow. We're not talking a dinghy. We're talking build a ship. He goes, well, where's the water going to come from? Well, it's going to come out of the sky. Now, to you and me, especially over the last week, that's a pretty common thing. But the Bible says it had never rained before. That dew would just come out of the earth and it would saturate the ground and that's what would make the plants grow. And that's where water would come from. But God says, I'm going to open the windows of heaven and I'm going to flood the earth and everybody not in the ark is going to pass away. So he says to Noah, he says, I need you to do this. And Noah says, I'll certainly do it. 
So him and his sons, they get busy and they begin to build this boat. They begin to build this ship that all the animals are going to get on. The Bible says that they use gopher wood and that when the time was right, God began to send the animals two by two to come all the way to the boat so that they could load in. And then when the time was right and it began to rain, the Bible says that God himself shut the door behind them. He didn't build this boat overnight. He didn't build this boat in a day, a year, or even a decade. He built this boat over about a hundred-year period. That's why I say it's a consistent, ongoing decision that he made that caused you and me to have an opportunity to breathe the oxygen that we do and to choose the God whom we have an opportunity to serve. In your life and in my life, God's going to touch you and it's going to be amazing. Sometimes we have the cry in the carpet type uh, moments with God. Sometimes we have the times with God where it seems like He could walk in the room and we wouldn't even be surprised. But when you have those moments, most oftentimes He is calling you to a life that will not quit, that will not waver, that will not grow slack. And when you don't see the rain, you will still build the boat. You see, God trusted Noah to do what he asked him to do. And it's the same with you and me. God has put a dream and a vision and an idea and people in your path. And it's your job. No, it's your opportunity as a Christian to minister to those people consistently with a dedicated purpose. The Apostle Paul wrote like this. He would always say, I press... Not that I I pursue, not that like I've already attained the prize I'm trying to get to, but I pursue as if I'm going to attain a prize. He said, I press towards the mark for that prize. He said, I run my race as if I'm trying to win that race. So in your life and in my life, we have to get to the point like Noah, where if God says build a boat and it takes a hundred years, we can not we must not grow weary at year 50 we have to finish our race so Noah doesn't get the credit that he deserves he literally saved humanity he is one of the greatest heroes of our Bible the Bible says that the windows of heaven opened up and it began to rain and for 40 days and 40 nights the floodwaters came and that boat began to float and it rode around on the raging waves of the flood of God himself and everybody all the wickedness around was wiped away All the animals that were not on the boat were killed. But the reality was is everybody and everything in that boat was safe and resting in the arms of God. You and me are on a collision course with with eternity. And everybody you know is on that same path. There will be a day when you will stand in front of a throne where God Himself sits on it and He will ask you, why should I let you into my house? And your answer, the only answer that will suffice is because I have been washed in the spotless blood of the Lamb of God. In your life and in my life, that collision course, it's a powerful thing. It's an empowering thing. It's a motivating thing. But to those outside the gospel boat, it is a dreadful thing. There's nothing scarier than entering into eternity without the surety of where you will spend that time. 
There's nothing more tormenting than a life away from God and an eternity away from God. We look at Noah's boat and it's a form and type, a type and shadow of what eternity will look like for you and me. Everywhere around them there was carnage. Everywhere around them there was problems. Everywhere around them there was death. But in the boat that Noah built, that God shut the door, everybody was safe and sound. No, Noah doesn't get the credit that Noah deserves. Noah finishes uh, building the boat and God shuts the door and the rain comes and it goes for 40 days and 40 nights and sometime later the waters began to subside and finally that boat rested on the side of a mountain and they all got out and Noah did what we read about during our offering message. He said, I'm going to thank God for delivering us from any and all affliction and he offered unto God a sacrifice. And in that sacrifice, the Bible says that God smelled that perfume. And He says, I'll never curse man again. And to remind myself, you can read this in the book of Genesis, to remind myself that I won't do it, I'm going to set a bow in the sky. We call it a rainbow. It's a promise. It's a promise that God is saying, I understand that there's wickedness on the earth and would probably deserve complete destruction, but because Noah found grace in my sight, I'm never going to do it again. You can be the Noah of your family that finds grace that makes sure that none of your family sees destruction. There's a difference for living for God. Noah comes off the boat and he should have just been happy for getting off. But he decided to magnify God in that moment. And when he did, God decided that I'm going to make a promise and my promises I always keep. He says, I will never do this again. The scripture continues, so the only people on the planet now is Noah, his wife, his sons, and his son's wives. And the Bible says they began to, they were tasked with the responsibility of replenishing the earth. Genesis chapter number 9, if you have your Bible and you'd like to follow along. Genesis chapter number 9, verse 18. The sons of Noah that went forth out of the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And Ham is the father of Canaan. These are the three sons of Noah... And them was the whole earth overspread, meaning, and from them the whole earth was populated. You and I, because of a decision of one man, because of an opportunity that one man capitalized on, can trace our DNA back to the house of Noah. I used to read when I was a young boy these books called Choose Your Own Adventure. And you would read a chapter, and at the end of a chapter, it would say, uh, if you want to cross the river, if you want the, the, the primary subject of the story to cross the river, uh, go to page 13. If you want the primary uh, subject of the story to not cross the river, go to page 17. And you would literally choose your own adventure throughout the book. Has anybody ever read a book like that? Wave at me. One of you, thank you. But it was a wonderful thing. But we see our Bible is similar to that, only it's already happened. Noah had an opportunity to choose his own adventure. He can do what God says, or he can roll the dice with doing what he would rather do. 
When you have an opportunity to follow after God, it won't just bless you, but it will bless your offspring to a thousand generations, the Bible says. It wasn't just Noah who repopulated the earth, but it was his three sons as well. And as a parent, I can tell you, nothing brings more joy to my life than seeing my children blessed. So when you make a decision... When you're going through the choose-your-own-adventure of life living for God and you decide to follow after God with all you have, it's in that moment that you are setting a surety that your children, your offspring, shall, will, and are going to be blessed. There's something about living for God that shifts your whole focus and you begin to think eternally and not just carnally you begin to think future-minded instead of not just right now these are the three sons of noah the whole earth was overspread by them was literally populated by them and verse 20 and noah began to be a husbandman or a farmer and he planted a vineyard meaning whenever noah made the sacrifice to god the bible says that god smelled the perfume of the sacrifice, it came the smoke and it came up as a perfume. That's when he gave him the revelation. He said, Noah, as long as uh, the earth exists, seed, time, and harvest will exist. Noah's a pretty sharp cookie. As soon as he heard that, he became a farmer. Now, he was a maritime construction worker before this, but as soon as he got the revelation that seed time and harvest existed, now he became a sower in the land. You and me, sometimes we hear things, but we don't act on things. Sometimes we get a revelation, but we do nothing with the revelation. Sometimes we receive a word of God, but we don't do anything with it. If you're watching uh, football and a quarterback throws the ball, and the receiver catches the ball and just stands there on the 50-yard line, he hasn't really done the fullest that he could have done because he hasn't done anything after he received what was delivered to him. You and me have to get good at pursuing God with what He delivers to us. So when Noah heard that if I put something in the ground and wait a little while, I'm going to have more than I had before, he got serious and the Bible says in the very next chapter, he became a farmer. He said, if that's what God's into, then that's what I'm into. And the Bible says he became a farmer. Verse 21, he planted a a vineyard. And verse 21 says, And he drank of the wine and was drunken, and he was uncovered within his tent. Simply put, he was drunk and naked. Naked. I don't know how to say it because I'm from East Texas, but he didn't have his clothes on. Can I just say, getting drunk will mess you up? I don't care if it's popular. I don't care if other people won't say it. Alcohol and the overuse of alcohol will cause all kind of problems to come in your life. It'll cause all kind of misery in your life. And before it's over, just like Noah, God's right-hand man to the time, it will find you in a place of embarrassment. Leave the booze alone. 
Find a way to get to God, to magnify God. Don't drown your sorrows in a bottle. That's a lie from hell. The Bible is riddled from Genesis all the way through Revelation with people that had their life messed up because they decided to go on a drunken path instead of serving and following God. Somebody say amen. Noah found himself drunk and uncovered in his tent. Now, where I'm from, occasionally, uh, as a young boy, uh, we would go off in the woods and we would swim and we might not have a bathing suit. Reminds me of a... No, better not tell that. (laughs) Y'all want to hear it? Oh, man. This is one of those mornings. My 13th birthday... We were fishing, me and about six guys, out in the woods behind our house, about a half a mile behind the house. There was a pond, and it was in the middle of the woods. We were out there fishing, and we weren't catching anything. And my birthday is in July, so it was hot as blue blazes. However hot blue blazes is, I don't know, but I've heard it. But it was hot. And I said, man, guys, let's go swimming. And everybody's like, yeah, let's go swimming. So we didn't get completely uncovered. But we would strip down to our underpants and we would swim. And it was just, it's just what country kids did. I, I don't know. It wasn't, wasn't a big deal. Uh, well, all of a sudden, out of the woods comes a man. And we're all uncovered, so to speak. And being uncovered can be a bit embarrassing. And the man comes walking up and then I realize that man is my father. And I think, whoo, that could have been embarrassing. I'm so glad it's just my dad. He said, what are y'all doing? I said, well, we're swimming, Dad. He goes, do you guys want some hamburgers or what do y'all want to eat later? Yeah, hamburgers would be great, Dad. He said, he said well, I'll tell you what, I'm going to head back to the house and get started on dinner. You boys swim as long as you want and I'll see you in a little bit. I said, perfect. So we swam a little bit longer and all of a sudden, I, I'm, I'm, in the, I'm in the water. Y'all don't picture what I was wearing, but I'm, I'm down in the water. And I crawl out of the water. I said, you guys ready to go? They said, yeah, we're ready to go. And, and I crawled out of the water. And I I began to look, and I thought, I know I put my clothes right here. I mean, my shoes are here, but my pants and my shirt are missing. And out out of the water comes my buddy Clint, and he goes, oh, yeah, man, I could eat me about five hamburgers. He goes, hey, man, did you move my clothes? I said, I did not move your clothes, bud. I don't know where they are. He said, well, here's my shoes. I said, yeah, I got my shoes too. And wouldn't you know it, all of our clothing had disappeared except for our shoes. (laughs) So we got a half a mile hike through the briars and the brambles in nothing but our underpants that are sopping wet. We're also covered in mud because it was a very muddy, muddy lake, muddy pond. And we're walking through and we get out to our property and our property was cleared. And I get and I can see my father standing on the porch watching us come up. And I'm thinking of all the things that I'm going to tell him. I can't believe you took our clothes. I can't believe all this other stuff. And I saw him holding something by his face. I said, I wonder what he has by his face. And I got about 50 yards away and he's got a camcorder watching us walk through the pasture in nothing but tennis shoes and underwear saying, hey, you boys want some hamburgers or what? We got up to the house and I said, Dad, what is wrong with you, man? (laughs) What I'm trying to say 
is it can be embarrassing when you're uncovered. And Noah found himself drunk and uncovered in his tent. Moving on. Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father, left the tent, and went and told his two brethren that were outside of it. So Ham, one of Noah's sons, walks into the tent, sees his father in a drunken stupor with no clothes on, and immediately goes out to the water cooler and begins to gossip. And immediately goes outside the tent where his brothers are, and begins to talk about his father. Immediately goes outside the tent where his dad was and begins to talk about, yeah, old dad's in there drunk, doesn't have any doggone clothes on. Now this is the man who just previously had spent 100 years swinging a hammer For God Himself rescued all of creation. The only reason that Ham was alive was because of the man in the tent. The only reason that Ham's wife was alive was because of the man in the tent. And the first thing he decided to do when Noah had one bad day was to talk about Noah. You see, in your life and in my life, we get to places and we appreciate people until we see one weakness. And then for whatever reason, we decide we cannot handle their humanity and we decide we're going to talk about them. Basically, one exposure to the flesh and Ham sold his daddy out. Verse 23. Then Shem and Japheth, who heard this, they were standing outside too. And Ham comes out and starts talking about his dad. And Shem and Japheth are standing there. And they say, they take a garment, the Bible says, And they laid it upon their shoulders. And they walked backwards, much bigger than this. But they walked backwards where they wouldn't see their dad in his weakest state. Can I just say it this way? They decided to overlook his one bad day. They backed up to him and they covered his weakness so that nobody else would have an opportunity to come in and talk about their father. They refused to join in with the gossip that Ham was committed to saying. They refused to focus on Noah's weakness, but decided to cover up anything that would embarrass him. I can't think of a better definition of Christianity. The Bible says in Proverbs that love covers a multitude of sins. 
I consider it the highest honor when you find out about something that somebody has done and you have an opportunity by grace to cover it so nobody else finds out. They walked backwards so that they would not see his issues. They chose purposely to overlook his one bad day and focus on the 3,650 good days that he spent building Noah's ark. No, there's something about Christianity and living for God in the Jesus style that will cause you to on purpose overlook shortcomings of your loved ones, of your families, of the potential people that you are trying desperately to get born again. No, there's two camps that went into Noah's tent. The first one couldn't handle Noah's humanity and the second one did everything in their power to cover it up. Number one, you can't give everyone access to your tent even if they are related to you. You can't let everybody into the place where your potential weakness can be shown because it's possible that they will use it against you. But your Christian brothers and sisters will take your weakness and apply the Word of God to it and remind you where you are weak, He is strong. Number two, in order to fully benefit from the anointing on someone's life, you're going to have to overlook the flesh. How many ministers do you know that walk in overwhelming power and then they have a bad day and Christians choose the ham route of coming out of the tent and talking about what they've seen instead of choosing Shem and Japheth's route and refusing to look at what they've done wrong, focusing on what they've done right and covering the weakness so that nobody else gets to see. I will never forget. I was made aware of something several years ago in another town. And it was a situation that was very rough, to say the least. And my pastor was making the decision on how we were going to handle it. And he said something to me that changed my life forever. He said, this might be the worst thing they've ever done. And we do not get opportunities like this very often to truly cover 
somebody else's sin so nobody else gets to know. I thought, if people really acted like that, Christians would not have nearly as bad a name as we do. Number one, you can't give everybody access to your tent. Number two, if you want to really experience the level of anointing that can be on somebody's life, you've got to get good at overlooking the flesh. Number three, it is one of the highest, most exalted opportunities in the kingdom of God to purposely look past the weaknesses, the struggles, the difficult areas in somebody's life in an attempt to see what God will do with the rest of their life. The prodigal son is a great story that Jesus told. And he talked about a young man who went away from the family, which would be the kingdom of God in this story. And he wasted his whole life in sin. The Bible calls it riotous living in the King James. Wasted his whole life. And when he finally, the Bible says, came to himself. Many of us have family members that are prodigal right now. They're away from God. They know it. You know it. We all know it. But one day, in Jesus' name, they will come to themselves. And they will want to return home. It is in that moment that you and me as Christians have to do what his father did. The first thing he did was take a robe and wrap his son's filth and wickedness in that robe so that no one else could see the weakness of his son. Shem and Japheth did that with their father. They chose to look the other way when somebody was having a terrible, horrible, really bad day. Jesus is the same with you and me. Maybe you're there right now where you feel like you've turned away from God. You've gone away from the things of God. You, you, you feel like maybe you've had more bad days than good days. God does not measure us by day. He measures us by the blood of His Son. Which means when you turn to Jesus for the first time, like the woman at the well, or you turn to Jesus as a returning, like the prodigal son who chose to come home, you'll find him doing exactly the same thing. He will look away from your weaknesses and cover them so that nobody else has access to use them against you. The difference in Jesus and you and me is he doesn't just walk with a garment. 
He doesn't just walk with a cloth or an apron or a coat or a robe. No, He covers you with the eternally powerful, spotless, and blameless blood that came from His very own veins. And when you are covered by that blood, when you are covered by that supernatural, overwhelmingly powerful blood of the Lamb of God, in that instant, every one of your weaknesses, every one of your shortcomings, every one of your shortcomings now becomes a place of strength because where you are weak, He is This is who our Jesus is. He looks the other way and He covers. He covers and He looks the other way. I don't know where you stand today, but God sent me here this morning to tell you that His Son has paid every price for you. He has changed every opportunity in your life from a maybe to a surety. He has changed every situation in your life from alone to now you'll never be alone. He's changed every area of your life from I hope it'll work to there is no question because God's promises are yes and amen. Please stand to your feet with me.